Welcome to the Demand Gen Club podcast, the first podcast exclusively dedicated to B2B demand generation secrets and best practices as shared by some of the top leaders in the industry. This podcast is brought to you by SASMQL, the account-based marketing agency based in Redwood City, California. They help venture-funded SaaS companies scale demand generation from target accounts. By combining intent data, automation, and a proven methodology, SASMQL can help your startup generate millions of dollars in sales opportunities within a few months. To learn more, go to sasmql.com. Welcome to a new episode of the Demand Gen Club podcast. I'm your host, Franco Caporale. Today on the show, we have Zach Diamond, the Demand Generation Manager at Social Solutions. Social Solution is the powerful and easy-to-use platform that helps non-profit organizations track data, manage cases, and measure outcomes. Zach has a background in neuroscience, so he has a very scientific approach to demand generation, which is also reflecting the way he executes on the marketing programs. As Social Solutions, he is in charge of planning and executing on multi-channel campaigns, nurturing leads down the funnel, and tracking KPIs and metrics. So I'm very pleased to welcome today Zach Diamond, Demand Generation Manager at Social Solutions. Zach, it's great to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little more about your background and where do you work and what does uh, your company do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm currently Demand Generation Manager at Social Solutions. We have a software solution for uh, nonprofits and public sector agencies to track the, the participants that they're serving and, and measure the impact that they're making within their communities. Awesome. And what are your responsibilities there? Uh, so I, I run all of our demand gen campaigns um, that goes from email, you know, nurture programs, um, all the way through display advertising, uh, managing the relationship with our agency that runs our uh, social advertising and paid media. And then, you know, also being a liaison with both our content team, making sure that we're aligned in our messaging with our audiences uh, and also with sales teams, making sure that our sales leaders are super tight with, with who we're going after so that we can maximize both audience reach and uh, penetration in the market. And you have been a social solution for uh, about two years, right? Correct. And how did you get started with, uh, with demand generation B2B marketing? So I have somewhat of an unconventional background. Um, I, I actually studied neuroscience in college. I had this crazy idea leading up to studying where I, I read a couple books. One was Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely, which is a behavioral economics book. And the other was uh, The Moral Molecule by Paul Zak, which took this somewhat uh, new wave uh, neuromarketing approach to uh, neurochemicals. And I, uh, so I, I studied neuroscience all while working at uh, digital marketing roles. Uh, I, I had an internship at a digital marketing agency. I created the foundation for a marketing program at a, at a startup. And, you know, I, I'd probably be lying if I said that I was really using my neuroscience background on a day-to-day basis in my marketing career, but I do think they go hand in hand uh, in behavioral studies. So both taking a, a scientific mindset to why 
people or prospects are behaving the way that they are, uh, looking at A-B tests, not just as correlations, but trying to figure out what the actual cause is and using KPIs as, as leading indicators, but not relying on them overly to where uh, we're proving hypotheses that aren't necessarily true, uh, you know, avoiding biases. Uh, and also just the orchestration of marketing tactics, I think, I think really aligns with uh, some of the scientific methods of trying to, you know, set up an experiment or, or, or try to figure out a real result. Um, so I, I found my way into demand generation after working in a few other marketing roles and moving to Austin, Texas, where I started working at Social Solutions. And, uh, you know, I, I got to say, I, I, I really think demand generation is my niche. That's definitely an interesting background from neuroscience to demand generation. How, how big is your team today, uh, both your marketing team and how big is the company? There's right around... 200 employees at Social Solutions, and our marketing team has eight eight employees currently. So other roles, we have uh, a chief growth officer, VP of marketing, product marketer, graphic designer, uh, content writer, and a revenue operations. And then also we have our BDR team, our business development representatives that sit somewhere between marketing and sales, but uh, I, I like to consider them a part of the marketing team as well. Interesting. Yeah, that part, uh, I'm going to definitely ask you more question later in the interview because I'm always interested in learning about the SDR process and where, uh, where they report to. But before, I, I like to ask some question about your, uh, your tech stack because our listeners always want to understand what technologies you use and what's your preference, what's your, what's your stack. So can you tell us more? What platform are you guys using? Absolutely. So we're on Marketo for marketing automation and Salesforce for our CRM. Uh, we use Sixth Sense as our intent data display advertising and ABM tool and uh, Path Factory for content experience. Interesting. So okay. how do you use uh, Path Factory exactly in your process? So we, up until very recently, Overgated all of our content. So if, if you wanted to get on our website and binge everything that we had to offer, you'd have to fill out dozens of forms. And the pro to that, you know, the benefit was lead scoring was made super simple. So we, we had all of our lead scoring tied to forms and we had different forms based off of what page you were on that uh, made lead scoring super cut and dry. But the problem was it didn't, it, if we already had someone's contact information, it didn't let them easily access uh, our content. So it, it hindered our ability to drive value through what our, our creative assets. And the adjustment, I, I got to say, was not easy, because, mostly because of lead scoring and some operations backends. But now we use it. So, you know, let's say you're a prospect of mine. I could have all my information that I need to know that you're a qualified lead. So instead of using forms to gain more information, I can email you a link to a Path Factory track. And for those of you who don't know or you aren't familiar with Path Factory, it's essentially content trajectories. Instead of having a PDF that you download, 
it, it tells you, it gives you an option to go next. So sort of like YouTube, uh, where you're watching a YouTube video and it says coming up next, that's what it does for your content assets. So we've been using it as a, a content flow where I could present to you a very top of funnel, easily digestible infographic. Uh, you, you could check out the infographic. Maybe it only takes, you know, half a minute to to digest. And then up next is a more in-depth article on the subject. And then up next is a testimonial from Trust Radius on, on one of our what one of our clients on what they say. And then finally, maybe it's it's an in-depth webinar that talks about our product. So we can take our our prospects through a flow that actually makes sense. So we introduce the topic at a very top of funnel level, but if they binge the content all the way through, one, they become an AQL, the hit lead score, because that's how, how we have it set up. And two, they actually understand the the full message that we're trying to send. And you design these experiences based on segments and stage of the funnel, like you can create all these separate flows? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We can get really, really granular with it. So there's a type of public sector agency, a type of government agency, where there's probably about 50 per state. Uh, and we can target them with a, a path factory track that uh, is specific to that exact agency. So it's, it's somewhat of an ABM play that we're going with there, but we can, we can make the content specific and personalized. Uh, we can show testimonials or reviews from uh, a, a similar client. Uh, and, and finally, even if we wanted to have an offer or a one sheet uh, that's particular to that type of prospect, then we can uh, put that in the track as well. So we can get really granular with it like that, or we can keep it top of funnel and say, this is just an informational piece that we blast out. And then, but, but it, it, instead of it becoming a dead end, where they download the PDF and we have no idea. Maybe they downloaded it and put it in their recycling bin right away. Uh, we actually have engagement to say, wow, they spent a minute on this asset, but only 10 seconds on this one. And how did you solve your scoring issues since you're not gating every content anymore? So we're still, we're still optimizing on our scoring. Um, off the bat, we found a huge depression in our top of funnel indicators or our inquiries, for example, went down a whole lot because, well, people weren't filling out forms quite obviously. So what we do now is we count the, the visit to the track as an inquiry. We can say, okay, this person engaged, they got there. And then we have it tied to Path Factory for the longer they spend on an asset, it, it incrementally increases their lead score. So maybe they, they count as a program response, as an inquiry, as soon as they visit the track. And then after 10 seconds, it adds three points to their lead score. After uh, 30 seconds, it adds a little bit more and so on and so on. So if they binge a content piece or a, a content track, more than one content piece, then they'll hit uh, a threshold of engagement. So it's by time, a time where uh, it'll, it'll, say in Marketo, make this person a, an AQL. Got it. Perfect. And uh, kind of moving on to a couple of other um, platforms you mentioned, Sixth Sense. So what's, what's your uh, ABM approach and how does Sixth Sense uh, fit into that picture? Yeah. So 
Sixth Sense has honestly revolutionized my approach to marketing in a lot of ways, in, in two ways. One is intent data, which is becoming, if it's not already, and hugely ubiquitous throughout the demand gen space. Uh, so I can segment my marketing programs based off of levels of intent. So I can say, awareness stage prospects, this is how many I have. They're probably either not that familiar with my product or they're just not in a buying cycle. So I know maybe I want to slow down the cadence of my emails to them or uh, maybe they're not a good fit for digital advertising because I'm not going to see a direct ROI on them. Now, if I know that my client is in a decision stage of intent or not client, sorry, prospect is a decision stage, I can say, let's let's speed this up a little bit. Let's get them to a representative or an, you know, someone to, to actually talk to so we don't waste too much time nurturing them and we can actually see if, if they're ready to buy. So the the problem we're solving one is velocity two is the roi component both on just money but also just resources and time uh, and the other side that six sense has really helped us solve is account fit uh, so this would be separate from intent to where they measure uh, the likelihood that an account would become closed one based on firmographic data that our our closed one accounts have and what we found is that strong fit accounts clo- have such a higher conversion rate, both to opportunity and to closed one, that we should be excluding weak fit accounts from a lot of our marketing. So if I'm if if I'm if my conversion rates aren't optimal, I can say, well, maybe that's because I'm including too many weak fit accounts in this program. So simply by removing them, I'm one, dedicating more time and more resources to uh, prospects who have a better chance of converting. And two, I'm, I'm increasing my conversion rates. So, so my metrics look better as well. From a, an intent perspective, do you mean first party intent? So the intent that they show on your content, your websites, your assets, or is more on the third party? So what they search on other websites or other criteria? It's a mix of both. So we can give them branded and gen- generic keywords to search. So we have our, our products that we offer, but also our competitors as branded keywords. So I can look at a prospect who is showing high intent and see what keywords are contributing to that intent. And maybe it's one of my competitors and they haven't been engaging with my emails or they haven't come to my website at all. So I can make the assumption that they're probably in a buying cycle with a competitor. Uh, which can influence the marketing that I'm going to give them. Or I can just go to the, the sales owner and say, hey, listen, this is a high value account. Uh, they're strong fit, they're high intent, but they're not engaging with us and they are searching this term for a competitor. So maybe we should do some outreach. Maybe we should personalize our messaging a little bit more to see if we can steal them away. And so now that you have the very well segmented and filtered list of accounts that are showing intent and have a good fit. What kind of campaigns do you run to engage with them? So I created an intent-based email nurture. Um, one, it, also it's, it's helped our paid media as well. So when we're doing target lists on LinkedIn, target lists via display, any, anything that's digital and, and using a list, I make sure to filter out for only strong fit accounts. And then if we're promoting 
you know, a top of funnel piece, then maybe we only look at awareness stage accounts. More often, we, if we have an offer or a, our free trial, for example, something that's more bottom of funnel, and we also don't want too much noise in those conversions, then we'll, we'll filter for just decision and purchase, purchase stage accounts. Um, so it's affected our, our digital nurture in that way. For email and sales outreach, uh, I, I created an engagement nurture within Marketo that triggers when a contact reaches a certain level of intent. So when they enter into, um, I have it set up for consideration, when they enter into consideration buying stage, they're removed from our general nurture uh, and any awareness pieces, and they're put into somewhat of an accelerator. So they're receiving more bottom funnel content pieces, actually Path Factory tracks, uh, so we're trying to get them to binge our content. They're they're getting more personalized messaging, and as soon as they engage, it sends an alert to my BDR team, who can reach out to them, and we have very concise messaging. So we're not trying to, uh, you know, give them too much fluff. <laughs> we're just trying to say, hey, you know, I've seen you being engaged. I we don't say this literally, but you know, I know you're showing intent. Let's let's uh, see how the solution could work out for you. And so how you track the performance of your campaigns today and how do you measure the effectiveness from an account-based perspective? So from an account-based perspective, it's it's really all about the alignment between sales and marketing. So it's just getting an account list together and then measuring the effectiveness against that account list, taking it a step up from, from a wider point of view. I, I'm really trying to optimize my conversion rates. So, uh, for example, when we first first implemented Path Factory, we saw a drop off in the conversion rate from inquiry to AQL. By the way, AQL is the point. I know it's different for some companies, but AQL is the point that we turn them over to our BDR team for our BDR to qualify. And then once the BDR qualifies with them, they become an MQL and uh, are given over to our sales team. So uh, a lot of what I'm trying to measure my performance on is the MQL because that's when pipeline is created. And I can say that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm generating leads that are actually becoming sales opportunities. So when we first implemented Path Factory, our conversion rate from inquiry to AQL dropped a whole lot and AQL to MQL went up. And part of that is just the volume and the, you know, the mathematics of that, but the other part of it is that we weren't increasing our lead score enough because of the switch from forms to engagement to Path Factory. And we were seeing AQLs were only coming from people who were requesting to be contacted. So good news because you know those convert to MQL at a higher rate, except that we weren't getting the volume that we want. So now I'm really trying to measure how to optimize the volume with the conversion rate. So I, I've changed the lead scoring like we talked about with, with Path Factory. And now my conversion rate from inquiry to AQL is really high, but my conversion rate from AQL to MQL has dropped. And where I see account-based marketing coming in is, is supplementing that conversion rate. So if I can say I'm generating this many AQLs through engaged accounts and 
Um, you know, I, I'm doing a good job engaging them, but I'm not getting the volume of sales opportunities that I want. I can use ABM to set up target lists with my sales team to, instead of looking at conversion rates, we're just producing MQLs because uh, we're going after them together and, and there's not as much email involved. Uh, it's less around engagement and more strict appointment setting. So I can, I can create enough MQLs to supplement my conversion rates so that my funnel is looking healthy. And going back to the campaigns a little bit, um, what are your top lead source from, from a top of the funnel perspective today? What are your leads coming from primarily? So you'll, you'll call me a liar, but we're actually using Facebook to get most of our leads, which I know is, I think a lot of it is just our target audience. I think a lot of nonprofits are active on Facebook because that's where both volunteers and participants might visit a page to get information or stay up to date with events and things like that. So we get inquiries so cheap from Facebook. Now, they're not always the best quality, but when we test dropping our investment in Facebook, we see it directly correlated to our pipeline sufficiency. Um, So we do a lot of Facebook. We're still trying to crack the nut on LinkedIn. We found it, it works well for our target lists because we can we can be more targeted as far as job titles go than we can on Facebook. But the volume is is still low for us. And maybe that's just because our target audience is it doesn't live on LinkedIn as much as they do on other channels. But we're, we're, we've made leaps and bounds uh, on LinkedIn advertising. And then other than that, Google search gives us a good number of inquiries, net new, uh, but also just organically too. Interesting. Yeah, and there's not many companies that have Facebook from a B2B perspective as their top lead source. So I'm always curious to hear that. And uh, But earlier you mentioned about the SDR, being, you consider them as part of the marketing team. Are they actually reporting into marketing or are they reporting to sales or you have a combination of the two? So <laughs> funny timing. Right now we're, we're reassessing that. They were... About a year ago, they were reporting to sales. We switched them over to report to marketing. Um, and now we're considering them switching, switching back to sales. But um, I think even if they do switch back to sales, it, it won't impact the, just the gravity that they have uh, for our marketing team. The BDR team can be a huge tool, or I shouldn't call them a tool, but you know, a, a channel for, for generating quality leads. Um, if, if I have my email programs running that are capturing our net new leads, engaging them, informing them, you know, inviting them to webinars, things like that, then the BDR team is really the, the, the real person side of that. So if I host a webinar that engages a lot of high quality leads, then I can have, and oh, we, we use outreach .io, by the way, that's our uh, sequencing tool. Uh, I can create an outreach sequence that is tailored exactly to that webinar, create account list for my BDR team about people who engage, strong fit, high intent, all of that, and have the BDRs reach out directly, uh, really to information gather. So it doesn't always have to be an appointment set, but it can say, what did you think about this? You know, I'd love to talk more about this topic that we discussed at the webinar 
So we're engaging them. It's still an extension of marketing. Once they're engaged with the BDR, uh, then they can set an appointment and move on to the sales cycle. So in some ways, the BDR team is are the gatekeepers to sales, but I, I like to think of them more as an extension of marketing and a, and a channel in itself. And do you have uh, separate roles for uh, those that respond to inbound leads versus those that do outbound or uh, it's kind of mixed? So something else we're playing around with, we've done both in the past where separate roles, same roles. Right now we're running the same roles just because it varies so much week to week. Uh, you know, if we have a really, really big webinar, we have a ton of inbound leads, then we kind of need everyone on deck. And then some weeks it might be slower. We can look at outbound. So it's, it's really a balance of both. And it's, it's funny because uh, one of the problems that comes from it is how do you compensate them, right? How do you track their, uh, their quota when you have a mix of inbound and some of that are outbound? I don't know if you are involved with that, but it's a question that I, I get a lot and is. Like, do you consider them the same when they set up an appointment with an inbound lead or is worth less from, from your point of view? That's a great question. I actually have to, I have to look back at that. Um, I, have to, I have to ask the team because I, I'm not sure. You, you would, because you're right. You would think if someone requests a demo, raises their hand and they get called on right away and scheduled a meeting, then that's not exactly the same as outbounding someone, making a cold call and setting an appointment that way. Yeah, but uh, it's also true that you trigger some weird dynamics when uh, you compensate that less because now all of a sudden they start, you know, maybe ignoring inbound leads because they're not worth the same for them. And and that's why it, it kind of is interesting dynamics that can be created through the incentive program or how you compensate, how you track the quota. So, yeah, I read a lot of different opinions on that. So it's always it's always interesting. Something that we are looking at, which I'm probably saying this a little too preemptively, but uh, with with our target audience, being able to fully empathize and understand where they are is is really imperative. We're looking at maybe segmenting our BDR team based off of vertical so that we can have experts for government agencies or experts for certain types of nonprofits so that we can be more effective and more empathetic in our voice as we're reaching out to these nonprofits so that we can, we can better speak their language. Awesome. I have one more question for you. Do you have any hack or anything that you tried in the past that worked out well um, from a campaign perspective or something that like a small change that got you a lot of uh, results that you want to share with us? Um, well, not, not to beat a dead horse, but I would say that intent-based nurture has really been the hack because it funnels high intent leads so quickly that that we're producing a better quality and a better volume by simply shifting the target that they're in. And I, I have the data. I think my conversion rate for strong fit accounts is about four or five times higher than it is for our average account. So, So I guess the hack would be honing in not just on audience segments by firmographic data, but also by how likely they are to convert so that you can, you can make the pipeline generation more predictable and more recurring. Zach, is really, it was really great having you as a guest on the episode today. I really enjoyed the conversation. So thanks again for joining us. 
Thank you. It's been great talking with you.